Well, good morning. My name is Sean Myers. I'm the lead pastor here for Redemption Peoria. I get to be a um, shepherd uh, amongst uh, our congregation here. And um, if I don't know you, I say this every week, I really would love to get to know you. Um, If you have questions at all, um, you can see someone with a lanyard afterwards about who we are, what we do, and and different ways to get connected. Um, Very quickly, before we get into uh, that passage, uh, I I shared some of my story about a month ago. When I got saved, um, I got saved into um, the uh, charismatic movement, which was some at moments, certain times blended with something called the prosperity gospel, which is this idea, if you give a certain amount of money, then you'll be blessed and so on and so forth. And I don't want to talk too much about that. But um, I remember when I first um, decided that I really felt like God wanted me to plant a church, um, I was like, all right, I'm never going to talk about money. These guys, all the church wants is my money, right? I need to talk to money about about money real quick with you guys, okay? Um, So um, here's the deal. Um, This projector belongs to uh, the Peoria Performing Arts Center, and it's it's a decent projector. And by decent, I mean awful. And um, um, I was talking with Dan Shea about that, and we were just laughing back and forth on email because he knows it's it's an old projector, but um, there's a guy um, who has said and kind of spoken for a couple people who said they can't see the words, um, this image, they can't see a lot of the images that we put up, and I... And I say this hesitantly because if you're new here, you think that I just want your money. You guys, I drive a 2003 Mazda MPV minivan. I, I don't need your money, all right? I roll hard. Um, uh, but but here, here's the truth. Um, we want to kind of do a, a quasi thing, both um, provide an opportunity where people, it's not a distraction for us to get a better projector and bless the Peoria Performing Arts Center. And we feel like this would be a good way to provide an opportunity for them to use a better projector than the one that they have and, and for us to be able to put up things that we want to put up because there's been a lot of images that we can't put up just because it's so faded, right? Can you see that Jesus is in the bottom corner there? Can you kind of see that? Well, he is, and he's upset about this projector. Okay, <laughs> now, so, so here's the deal. We have shopped around, um, and, and, we're, and trust me, I'm as frugal as, it, as, as we can get. They want to buy, like, pipe and drape for the kids' area. I'm like, no, we're using PVC pipe, okay? Um, so um, the truth is I, I, I am so hesitant to, to spend as much as we want. We've shopped around. We're going to continue to shop around, but it seems like the projector from go, to go from there to here is really expensive. It's about $4,000, you guys, um, which is really, really expensive. If you find one cheaper, please let me know. Um, so here's the deal. Somebody has already come up and said, hey, I'll give you $1,500. I can't see the screens. For the love of God, buy a new projector. Um, and so we need $2,500 more to buy the projector we want to buy. And, and we feel like it's a good opportunity, again, to bless them. I mean, every week there's a guy named Matt who sits up there. Give it up for Matt. Matt's my man. You're the man, Matt. Matt's up there every week. He serves us every single week. Dan Shea, the one who's over the the Pure Performing Arts Center, has been so gracious in all that they do. Um, And we want to bless them because they've been a blessing to us. And so we feel like this is a good way for us to be able to bless them and get a a new projector, right? So after after service, that's the way we do our our offerings. There's boxes on the side or you can go online. Obviously, we would say if you're normally giving and tithing, man, just drop in an extra, I don't know, $2,000 if you happen to have it, okay? So... With that being said, um, let's get at our, uh, our, our text this morning. We're, we're in Mark, and if you don't know, we've been going through Mark for, uh, like John said, I think seven weeks. We, we uh, decided to start uh, in, in the Gospel of Mark and just kind of open up from chapter one, from day one, and really begin to ask some questions. And here's why we did this, and here's what we are looking for. And I, I've said this every week, and it's important that we continue to remember this. Sorry, this Britney Spears mic is killing me. Um, okay. 
Um, here, here's, here's something that, that we, we looked at. When we looked at the Gospel of Mark, um, we wanted to ask the question, who is Jesus? And the Gospel of Mark is a perfect book for us to ask that question because if you ever get a chance to read through the Gospel of Mark, it's the shortest of all four Gospels, and you kind of fly through it. And what's crazy about the Gospel of Mark, and I've said this repetitively week after week after week, you go through the book... And no one in the Gospel of Mark knows who Jesus is except the demons. They recognize who Jesus is and we as, and us as the readers. So Mark kind of goes out and says, he's Jesus, the son of God, and he begins to talk about. But as Jesus interacts with people, people are wondering who this dude is. I mean, so much so, as you get to the middle of Mark, uh, Jesus goes, who do people say that I am? And then when you get to the end of Mark, finally someone goes, oh, now that I've seen him crucified, he's the son of God. And so we wanted to say, since we don't know, or, or at least the, the, the people who are walking in this, who is Jesus? And this is a big question for us. If we're going to start a church and we believe God has called us to do this and we're going to revolve it around this man, Jesus, well, then who is Jesus? What is he about? What is he for? And some of us come with preconceived notions of who he is and why we don't like him or why we like him. And, and he's so gracious and he's super just, and, and we don't know how to, to, to mix and match and what to do with him. And so we just said, well, let's find out who Jesus says Jesus is. Let's find out what Jesus says Jesus is all about. And as we opened up, we begin to find out that Jesus clearly claims to be God, which is huge, right? Because when he comes as God on this mission, he comes into a broken world and he says, there was this old age, the way that things used to be, but I've come and the time is fulfilled. The way that things used to be, it's not going to be like that anymore. Now the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he begins to go around and he heals lepers, he heals paralytics, he casts out demons, he heals the sick, he has ultimate authority. And so we've been going through story after story after story, and we get to our story here. Our goal is to be done um, at the end of this year just to continue to trek through. And we've been taking these smaller sections, but believe me, we'll get at bigger sections soon enough. So I'm going to read this passage again. Um, We are in Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible um, and you want one, and I mean by don't have one like actually don't own a Bible. There's some Bibles um, by our boxes right here. Honestly, grab that Bible and keep it. It's totally yours. We have a box full of Bibles. You can take two if you want. Um, I mean, I don't know what you would do with two, but you can take two. Um, so so here, here's our text again. Uh, this is how it's going to work. I'm just going to read through this story again, trying to figure out who Jesus is. We don't know if we're in the story who Jesus is, but we as the readers do. So we're going to go through this story, and we're going to talk about what this looks like. How does this apply? Why does Mark put this where he puts this? And here we sit in 2015. We're reading the Gospel of Mark. I mean, what do we do with this? How, how do we see ourselves in some of this story, and what is Jesus doing ultimately? So... Here, here we go. It says this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching. It's obviously talking about Jesus. So Jesus was already going along the sea. Remember when he called Peter and Andrew? He said, hey, follow me. So he's about to do that again. Um, he, the crowd's following this, him this time. Verse 14, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and follow him. So this is very similar. If you remember um, back in uh, uh, the early parts of Mark, which we're still in, but in chapter one, um, where Jesus walks, walks amongst these four guys, these four fishermen says, follow me. And they drop their nets and they begin to follow Jesus. Now this story is very similar, but it's a lot different in what happens with this guy, Levi. Levi um, is actually, we end up coming to know him as Matthew. Matthew's the one who wrote the first book in the New Testament. So if you were to open your Bible, you have the Old Testament on one side, well, to you, I guess, the Old Testament on one side and the New Testament on the other side. Um, The very first book you're going to pick up is Matthew. That was written by this man that we're about to encounter. And it says, I'll read it again. 
Um, he's the son of Alphaeus sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. So, so let's talk about specifically where we are. Like, let's put ourselves in. I try to do my, my best storytelling ability every week to put us in the story. Let's put ourselves in this story. So here we go. Jesus is walking, and there's this guy at a tax booth. What's a tax booth? Well, a, a tax booth is somewhere where a tax collector sits. Well, what's a tax collector? Okay, we're, we're going to have to get around this because this, uh, this is going to make this very, very interesting. Um, Let's, uh, let's go um, Gladiator, the movie, right? Rome, okay, anybody? Okay, so um, we have Gladiator, the movie, which has just pretty much an only reference to Rome. I won't reference it at all from this point on. Um, made no sense at all for me to bring up that movie, but Russell Crowe's pretty awesome in it. And so here's Rome. Um, Rome owns all these areas. They have these territories, and one of those territories is this area of Galilee. And in Galilee, this is where Jesus is ro- rolling around in Capernaum, and he's going around, and this is where he sees Levi, Matthew, right? Well, Levi is a tax collector, and the thing is, Levi is a Jew. Now, you have to understand, Jews have their area. So even though Rome owns this area, the the Jews have their little area of Galilee here. So the problem with that is the Jews have to pay taxes to the Roman Empire, and they hate it. Now, here's the thing. To make a quick buck if you're a Jew, it's easy, right? Because you go, hey, Rome, I'll work for you, and and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll bring in taxes for you. And so the Jews essentially betray their fellow Jews by working for the Roman Empire. And so they collect taxes. So the Jews hate these tax collectors. And honestly, I, I tried to think of ways to equate it. Honestly, um, as much as uh, patriots as they are, the, the best way that I can probably describe this is this would be like a, a young man born in Indiana, raised up, going to public schools, goes to somewhere, goes to Indiana University, and he's a, an outstanding citizen. And in, two, in the year 2000, he joins Al-Qaeda and in 2001 flies the plane into the Twin Towers. Like, how would you feel about that man? I mean, I've tried to really honestly process the depths of hatred that would probably be around these tax collectors. Because it's not just the fact that they're betraying people. They're betraying their own, their their fellow Jews who believe ultimately they're supposed to overthrow the Romans. But they're also dirty snakes, man. Like, so what would happen is they would come and they say, yeah, the tax is $10, but today it's $12. And they can do this, and, and there's no choice. So it's because of these tax collectors that your, your, your son doesn't have food to eat that night. It's because of these tax collectors that you can't pay your rent. It's because of these tax collectors that you're short on cash and don't have gas to get anywhere. It's because of these sneaky, dirty snake, selfish, greedy tax collectors. And so Jesus rolls up to this tax collector and says, hey, follow me, which makes it real interesting because... Um, uh, and, and we don't see this, but in Luke, um, who tells the same story, um, it, it says immediately Levi or Matthew, he leaves his tax uh, uh, booth and he follows him. He leaves all those things behind, which as he follows him, this is where we get to verse 15. And as he reclined at the table in his house, so this is now Jesus, suddenly it just goes from Jesus going to Matthew saying, hey, follow me. And now um, what we come to find out is Levi or Matthew. I'm going to call him Matthew from this point on. Matthew throws a party. This dude, something just happened in his heart. Matthew says, hey, Jesus, come to my house. I got, I got to tell you, uh, tell my friends about you. So he brings Jesus to his house and they throw this for real dinner party. Okay. So this is what happens in verse 15. As he reclined at the table at his house, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Okay? Now, um, I, I want you to understand, now we don't just have one tax collector, but, but as it says here in the middle of verse 15, many tax collectors and sinners. So whoever, whoever Matthew was at this point, whoever he, he's hanging out with, he invites. And they're all the scum of the earth. They're, they're all awful. 
They, they, none of them, they're all cheats. They're all, even if they're not tax collectors, they, they end up in a room and they're just all hanging out and Jesus is kicking it with them. And Jesus is reclining at a table with these sinners, with these tax collectors, with these greedy, selfish people, okay? And this, this makes it um, uh, really interesting because it goes on to say this in verse 16. And the scribes and Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Let, let, let's stop there because this is, um, this is something that I think can become uh, uh, really important for us. Um, towards the end of uh, Jesus's life, ministry on the earth, life on the earth, um, he's accused of being a glutton and um, he's ac- accused of, of hanging out with sinners. And this seems to be Jesus's M.O., and um, I, I think it's important that I, I state this from the beginning because Jesus um, may not, I would say, did not get drunk, but he associated with drunk so much that he was accused of being a drunk, okay? Um, he he, he, he uh, associated with sinners so much that he, he might have been accused of being a sinner. And so Jesus now is hanging out with um, some pretty terrible people. Uh, there's there's a, another translation to this, and some of you guys might have it in the New Living Translation. If you don't know um, why I would quote another translation, um, if you think of if you can think of Greek, like it can't just translate it the way it is because um, sometimes even in English, don't we try to communicate something that isn't just like actual words? We try to like say something like "I love you with all of my heart." Now, I don't literally mean the, the physical heart. Like, I'm trying to communicate something right now. How do I communicate that if I'm translating it to another language? And so what the, the ESV is, is closer to a word-for-word translation. But, but some translations kind of go, and it's called thought-for-thought. Thought. They, they, they push in the direction of what it's trying to communicate. And the New Living Translation um, uh, is that type of translation. And I just want to read this very quickly because I, I think it might help you. This is from verse 15 um, from the New Living Translation. This is what it says later, um, picking it up, the same thing we just read. Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. It says in parentheses, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. <laughs> yes. But when the teachers and the religious laws who were the, uh, who were the Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Okay, so let, let's put ourselves in this. Here's Jesus kicking it back, laid back with his mind on his mind. No, it's not. Okay. Um, don't. Lightning? No? Okay. Um, so Jesus is kicking it with a bunch of sinners and tax collectors, and here he is, and he's accused, the, the Pharisees don't like this, and, and going to what we did last week as far as a view, here's the Pharisees and, and this, the, the Sadducees and, and the scribes, and they're the, these religious leaders, and they're looking at Jesus, and they go to his disciples, and they say, why does he eat with such scum? Like, do they not know, does he not know who these people are, right? Now, Jesus, unlike last week, using his X-Men power, Professor X's power, he, he doesn't just use his mind rays to listen to um, what their, their, their uh, hearts are saying, but he actually hears them this time, and he says, what's that? And, and why do you eat with such okay, you You're asking me why I eat with such, such scum. Well, here's the deal. Um, I haven't come for the righteous people. I've come for the sinners. See, if I was a doctor... Um, uh, healthy people wouldn't need my help, right? It's sick people who, who need my help. So um, that's why, because I, I've come and I'm a healer and Jesus lays this down and he immediately puts himself on blast. And what we get to find out about this morning is what type of person Jesus comes for. What type of followers are Jesus? And there are two 
different types of people in this room. And what I love about this text, and we can't run from, I want to read it again in the ESV because I think it's so awesome. Many tax collectors and sinners, in verse 15, were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Listen to this. For there were many who followed him. Now, for that, now though there are many people who followed him, what that, the, the, the way the sentence is structured is what it's trying to communicate is there are many tax collectors and sinners following Jesus. So suddenly, what Jesus begins to say, and as it said in the NLT, Jesus goes, hey, listen, I came for those who know they're sick, not for those who think they're righteous. Um, there's a, a story, a, a woman named Mary Mallon. Uh, she was born in the 1800s, and um, early 1905, uh, Manhattan has this huge breakout of typhoid, right? Denise can explain typhoid afterwards. Um, it's this bacterial disease, and so um, there's this breakout of typhoid, and people are dying, and they don't know what's going on, and hundreds and hundreds of people are getting this, and they begin to try to track down patient zero. Where is this typhoid coming from? Well, they find out in 1905 that it's this um, woman named Mary Mallon, um, and she is uh, a cook, and she cooks for these certain families, and as she's been cooking for these families, she's been giving people typhoid because she has typhoid the problem with mary mallon is who she later became uh, known as typhoid mary that's an awesome name um she 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 uh she has all the disease uh, of typhoid she she um has it within her but she shows no outward signs of typhoid and so from 1905 to 1907 they trap her on this island and they test her and they show that she has typhoid but they have no proof that she has typhoid outside of the test so they have to release her because she's she's not getting rashes she's not getting a fever but she has typhoid well it happens again as she's released 1915 a huge typhoid outbreak this time they get her they find out it was her again working in a hotel passing around typhoid they lock her up for the next 16 years on manhattan island they lock her in this little this island where basically it looks over the city and and she's stuck there and she ends up dying there and here's what's crazy about her story her entire life kicking and screaming she refused to accept she had typhoid even though she had the disease within her and she showed no outward reflections of that disease she had typhoid she had it and she was giving it to other people and what jesus looks at in this moment and goes hey listen let me just make this very clear everyone in this room is sick but there are some of you who think you're healthy there are some of you who don't think you're sick now i've come for those who know they're sick and if you don't want to accept the fact that i can help you in your sickness then i haven't come for you this is crazy I mean, this is the epitome of our righteousness, thinking we do enough good things to think that we have it all together. The perfect um, example to explain um, who's in this room is is Jesus gives us an example, and I'm going to do my best to explain it. It's found in Luke 15. You can read actually what he says, but here's um, the premise of what takes place. There is this dad, and this dad has um, two sons, and this dad is extremely wealthy. And um, he sat his sons down, and he has this will written out, and he says, hey, listen, guys, when I die, um, he looks to the younger brother and says, I'm going to give you half of what I have, and when I die, I'm going to give you half of what I have to the older brother. Now, the younger brother and the older brother know this. The younger brother goes, wait a minute. Why do I need to wait until my dad dies? And so he goes to the dad, and he says, hey, pops, um, I want my inheritance now. Why would I wait until you die? And the dad goes, are you serious? Like, like that, you, you, you just want to leave? I can take care of you. What? 
yeah, I want my money now. And so he, the, the dad reluctantly gives him his inheritance. He lets him go do what he wants. And the younger brother goes out and he ends up on MTV Cribs. He ends up buying a new cars. He buys a new house. He gets all these nice things, goes to the bars and says, drinks are on me tonight. And unfortunately, this happens in 2005 because 2006 is the market crashing. And he loses everything. He loses his house. He loses his cars. And there is a famine that hits the, the uh, area, hits the land. And now he's sitting here, he works for a local, local urban farmer, and he's helping out with the chickens, and he's helping out with the pigs, and he sees what the pigs are being fed, and he goes, wow, um, I'm getting paid minimum wage, I, I don't have any money, and I need to eat, and, and what the pigs are eating actually looks good right now. And so he comes to in that moment, he wakes up and he goes, why don't I just go back and be a servant for my dad? I understand I've spent the inheritance, but, but why don't I just go back and be a servant? And, and the first people in our story, pause that, the, the, the story of the younger brother, the first people in our story, that's, that's you for some of you, but, but more importantly, that is the sinners in the room. That is the tax collectors in the room. That is the people Jesus is reclining with. They have chosen, like some of you, to do what you want with your life, how you want to do it with your life. They have chosen to say, God, this is mine. You give him the bird and you're on your way because it's your life. It's, it's how you want to live it. And so you've chosen to make decisions outside of God. God, I want what I want now. And then you wake up. And hopefully you wake up. Maybe you haven't woken up yet, but you sit there and go, what am I doing? What, I, I, my dad gave the perfect example, meth addict for 31 years, and he said he woke up, looked in the mirror, and said, what have I done with my life? And maybe you're not a meth addict, right? But man, you've made decision after decision, choosing selfishness, choosing greed, choosing lust, choosing pride, choosing anger, choosing what you want to choose because it's your life, and you and me are like the younger brother. But there's another brother in the story, right? Because what happens is as the younger brother comes home, and this is good news for you and for me, because he comes home expecting to be a servant. He comes home expecting to look at his dad and say, dad, I'm an idiot. I shouldn't have done what I've done. I'll be a servant. I'll I'll just work for, for minimum wage if you give me a place to stay. And as he's walking up, the dad looks at him. He takes off his business coat. He takes off his tie. He looks at his son and says, what are you talking about? You're my son. And he hugs him and he says, you, you were eating with pigs? I don't care what money I've given away. You're my son. He gives him new clothes. He puts a watch on his wrist. He shows him to his room. He says, hey, take some money out of the account. He grabs one of the maids. Take some money out of the account. I want to throw a serious party for, the, for him. Because my son, see, he was lost. He was gone. But he's back now. He's found. Now, um, he has two sons, remember. And the other son is... Uh, he, he's, uh, he's out working on the car, and he hears this party. Um, and as he hears this party, um, he, he grabs one of his, uh, his, his other dad's butlers, and he says, hey, um, what's going on? He goes, you haven't heard? No, what, what's going on? Dude, your younger brother, he's back. Are you serious? I thought he was dead. No, 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 he's back. He's back now, and, and, and your dad just uh, emptied a huge portion of his, uh, his, his uh, uh, money in the account to throw this huge party for all of his friends, all of, all of his, your, your younger brother's friends, some of your friends. And the younger brother's, wait, what? And so the, the, the older brother comes up and he goes to his dad and he says, dad, dad help, help me get my mind around this for a second. Because I've, I've been here day in, day out, helping you run your business, helping take care of the family inheritance over and over and over. I've done to the best of my ability to be a good son. And not one time did you empty the bank account. Not one time did you ever give my friends a party. And, and, and in this moment, the dad looks at him and goes, 
son, your brother was lost and now he is found. And suddenly we see the, 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 the second sin, right? The, the first sin was the younger brother choosing to do what he wants with his life. But, but the other sin is the older brother. The fact that he thinks because he's been there day in and day out, his dad owes him something. He leverages his faithfulness to his father. And these are the people in that room. We have sinners who have come to, their, to, to, uh, to Jesus to go, Jesus, I have stolen like you would not believe. I have been greedy, malicious, arrogant. I'm so sorry. And my friends and I recognize what we've done, and, and we are sinners, we are unhealthy, and we need a doctor bad. And there's another group in the room who says, now wait a minute, um, we haven't been greedy, we, we haven't stolen, we, we haven't done those things, and we're here, and we feel pretty healthy. And there, there, there's, there's the two sins in the room. And unfortunately, um, um, I, I guess fortunately, for us, the passage seems to lean into pressing against this older brother, pressing against the Pharisee, pressing against legalism. For some of you, it's pressing against this idea that you think because you do good things, you're a good person, that God should love you. I'm not Hitler. I'm not Miley Cyrus. I, well, I shouldn't equate those. That's not quite the same. Um, but I, I, I'm not this type of person, so God owes me something. Um, now, here's, here's what I know. I've been reading through the book of Mark as we've been going through this, and I've been reading these stories, and there's two terms I've used over and over, and I realized as I was studying this week for this that I haven't really defined those terms, and so I want to define these two terms um, so you can kind of get your mind around um, what I mean when I say these terms. And the first one is this term, Pharisee. Um, so here, here's a Pharisee, okay? Uh, and I think this is the best way I can describe it because they suddenly continue to find themselves in rooms where like demons are being cast out and um, the paralytic is being healed and the leper's being healed. They're finding themselves in a room now as Jesus is hanging out with uh, sinners and they're sitting there. Well, who are these guys? Why are these dudes following Jesus if they don't like Jesus? Okay. Now here, here's what we know about Pharisees. Okay. Um, very early on before Jesus is ever born, there's 400 years where God just stops talking to his people, his people being the Jews. There's 400 years of that. If you want a fancy theological term, it's called the intertestamental period. We've all learned something today, okay? So there's this there's 400-year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament where God does not say anything, and people are waiting for God. God, you used to speak through Jeremiah. You used to speak through Malachi. Why don't you speak anymore? And so they begin to take the law of God and try to figure out how it applies or what it's saying to them at that day. And so um, a couple groups rise up out of them, and one of these groups is the Pharisees. They are, um, for an oversimplification, this religious sect, the religious leaders over the people to say, here's what we do, here's how we do it. They're also involved in politics, and they're very much over the Jews. We will say that. They're over the Jews. And, and it's important because um, what you got to understand is these people throughout the entire New Testament seem to be the bad guys. I don't mean just in the Gospels. They seem to be the bad guys. So, so knowing who they are, it might be help, uh, helpful. Matter of fact, um, in Romans, it, it, it says this, and this might help you, maybe not. In, in Romans chapter 2, verse 17, it's Paul talking to these type of men. He says this, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know, um, and know he will prove what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? So what happened was the Pharisees 
They desperately want the Messiah to come. And it's a good motive, you guys. It's a good motive. They want the Messiah to come. But day after day, what happens is they slowly begin to slip into, I'm doing these things for God because he loves us. So I'm doing these things for God so he'll love us. And, 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 and it's this small adjustment, and it's the second word that I want to um, talk about because I think it seeps really well into where we are. They seeped into this second word, legalism. Now, when I say legalism, what do I mean by, by legalism? There's, there's two quotes I think um, might be helpful for you um, to share. Let me, let me share this first one. It's from um, Tony Ranke. Uh, this is what it says. It says, legalism is a salvation problem. That is, legalism is a false gospel. Legalism is the damning lie that says God's pleasure and joy in me is dependent upon my obedience. It is legalism that causes the Pharisee to look proudly in the sky in the presence of the tax collector. It is the legalism that causes a missionary in Africa to think God is more pleased with him than the Christian businessman in America. It is legalism that causes the preacher behind the pulpit to think God is more pleased with him than the tattooed Christian teenager sitting in the back row. It's always the tattooed Christian teenager, isn't it? Um, so so here's, here's, um, here's what legalism is, and here's how the Pharisees, I, I believe, got there. And I'm going to try to do, do this pretty quick. Um, the Pharisees saw the law, you guys. They wanted to be obedient to God. This is some of you. Man, I, as Chris, I just want to be obedient to God. And they saw these laws, and maybe some of you know the Ten Commandments. Maybe some of you can only quote like four of them. But there's these Ten Commandments in, in Exodus 19, 20 and going on. Well, there's actually more than these Ten Commandments. There ends up being over 600 commandments that God gives his people. And he gives it to them to give them life. Hey, rest. When, when someone dies, don't just handle the body and then deliver a baby. Okay, like there's these things that to, to protect them that provide freedom for them. And they took these laws. The Pharisees say, okay, this is a law. Um, yes, we want to follow this law, but, but how do we follow this law? And so they made this book called the Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D. It's a 24-chapter book on how to follow the law. Um, matter of fact, one of the Pharisees is quoted in saying that he took two and a half years just to study one chapter to try to figure out exactly how to follow the law. So by example, something like this. Um, uh, God tells us that we need to rest on the Sabbath. There needs to be the seventh day where you don't do anything. Hang out. Watch the, the you know the, the heat and pacers later. Whatever you want to do, you're gonna you're gonna hang out and just be. I don't want you to do anything. Well, the Jews said, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to just rest? And so they said, okay, here's what we know it means to rest. And they took the the Talmud. They they began to write. Here's how we can rest. If you pick up something more, I'm not making this up, that weighs more than a fig, you're sinning. Wait, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. That considers work. If you take something in your hand and you throw it up and you catch it in the other hand, that's considered work. You're sinning. If you move a chair, you're sinning, okay? This is law after law after law. They took what God gave for life in so many ways, what God gave to free his people, and they made it this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And this is exactly what we've done. Like a perfect example of this, um, and I've thought of a million, um, but I just... Here's a, here's a great, great example of this. Maybe not a million. That might be over-exaggeration. But, but um, here, here's what I mean, right? So when we read, um, treat your body uh, like the temple of the Lord, okay? And we go, Man, my body is a holy temple. It's a, it's, a, it's a place where God dwells, and I need to treat it well, okay? And so we hear that, and we go, okay, how do I do that? Now, that is a command. There is explicit commands. Here's what you need to do. You need to treat your body well, okay? But what we've done is we begin to define that. We say, well, if you smoke, you're not treating your body well. Okay, now here's what happens. Here's what happens. Law, rest on the Sabbath. Law, treat your body like a temple. 
Man's tradition, don't pick up a chair. Man's tradition, don't smoke. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you can't smoke. Now hear me, I just think it's disgusting, so I don't think you should smoke, okay? But in the end, you're not sinning if you smoke. That nowhere in the Bible does it say you cannot smoke. Okay, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. Um, okay, smoke it up. Everyone get a cigarette, okay? Um, here's, here, here's, here's what I'm trying to, trying to get at. Um, there is this tendency for us to take what God says and slowly become an accidental Pharisee. You, you, you get it? Uh, matter of fact, Larry Osborne um, wrote a book called Accidental Pharisee, and he has a great quote that I, I think w- would help. Um, and this is what he says. He says, the moment my personal application of the scripture becomes the lens through which I judge others, something has gone terribly wrong. We don't have freedom to lie, steal, slander, turn a deaf ear to the poor, hoard the gospel, um, uh, worship idols, or fornicate. But we do have freedom in many other areas, and it's this freedom that can drive the fledging legalists within all of us crazy. Once the Holy Spirit places a clear call on your life to do something or not to, it's hard for most of us to fathom why everyone else didn't get the memo. This is, um, this is the epitome of um, how the church world has looked at drinking and said it's a sin. This is, um, this is how we, we, we've taken, uh, rated our movies and said it's a sin. Now hear me. I think there are things that you should not watch, right? I think there are things that you should avoid as Christians. But nowhere in the Bible does it say sin. This is why this is beautiful. Because God gives this to you and says, if you love me, listen to me. Listen to me. Hear what my Holy Spirit is saying. He- hear this. Like, um, so so um, I've tr- I want to do a good job as a pastor, and I, I want to um, give something that I do. I do this. Now, this is dangerous because I'm going to give you an example, and I actually counted last night in my bed four things that um, I do this with, and I'm not going to tell you all four because three are I'm a terrible human being, but one of them I can share with you, okay? Um, and, and it's this, and, and please don't, oh, Lord. Okay, just please just give me some grace, okay? But, but here's honestly um, what, what I, I read in the New Testament. Oh, this has nothing to do with you if you have a terrible child, okay? It's just, I'm just telling you what I read, okay, um, and what I've done, okay? So I read in the New Testament, and I'm reading like uh, in uh, 1 Timothy, like elders, their children should be submissive. I'm reading in Ephesians 4, um, children should obey their parents. And I read this, and I go, man, kids need to listen to their parents, Okay? Now, that's true. I don't need to, like, that's a fact. So, okay, now that's not my preference. That's just the law, okay? Um, kids need to listen to their parents. Now, how does Sean Myers take that and judge other people? How does Sean become an accidental Pharisee? Well, Sean walks in the grocery store, and he sees Mary. If there is a Mary in this room, I am absolutely not talking about you, okay? He sees Mary, and Mary's sitting there with, with, his, or with her uh, uh, little uh, son, Billy, and, uh, and uh, Billy's grabbing stuff off the shelf, and Billy, no, don't do... Billy knocks it Billy, no. Billy knocks it off. Uh, Billy, this is your last warning. I'm going to count to three. One, she looks over at me. Two, Billy's still running around. Two and a quarter. Two and a half. Billy's still running around. Three. <laughs> Crazy Billy. He just does whatever he wants. No, you go spank Billy right now. That's what you go do, okay? Now, now here's, here's, here's what I mean. I've made my preference. Now, in that moment, I go... <laughs> discipline your child, okay? I've made my preference to go, no, no, that is, that you're, in my opinion, right? Like, I would be sinning if I did not, if I let my kid do whatever he wants. Now, this is over and over. Now, you can say just the same. There are some of you, 
here we go. Now I'm going to be the opposite. I'm going to be the sinner in the room. There are some of you who would get upset to know that I sit and watch The Simpsons with my kids. Okay? Oh, yeah. Bring it on. Okay? Um, I absolutely, and I could defend Tom Blue in the face. I believe The Simpsons is the best cultural discipleship method on television. They identify homosexuality, the culture of homosexuality so well that I can pause it and say, Corbin, do you see how they're, they, the church culture, have you seen Ned Flanders? Like we're, sometimes we're just such a bunch of goofs like that, right? So the, the, the Simpsons does, and I can argue Tom Blue in the face, but you go, no, that's a sin. But nowhere in the Bible does it say I can't watch the Simpsons, Okay. So this is, um, we're getting way off track, but my point is, um, this is how we take the law, like the Pharisees, and we become accidental Pharisees ourselves. We take what God's law says, and we begin to make personal preference. And God has given us freedom in these areas. Now, why is this a big deal? This is where we're going to wrap it up. This is a big deal because Jesus um, associates with the people that we, or the accidental Pharisees, the Pharisees in those, the rooms, think he should not be associating with. Let, let me say it a, a different way. Um, though they're cheats, though they're greedy, though they're disreputable, though they're the scum of the earth, their hearts somehow have been changed, and yet they're still kind of acting like, like morons. They still have this tendency to say the wrong thing and, and not do the right thing. And, and they're still watching things they shouldn't watch. And they, they go out between meals and they have a smoke. And, and they're not quite um, Christian material. And, and the legalist within them goes, no, 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 no. If they really are followers of God, they need to be circumcised. They need to be cleansed. They need to do X, Y, Z. Here's what it is. So much so we're going to get to later that before they eat, they need to be washing their hands. They need to do all these things, but it doesn't mention any of that in the Bible. They need to be following these certain rules. And what we've done is we've created a dichotomy. We create, we've created church disciples and kingdom disciples. We've made church disciples that we know the right things to say, the, the right things to do. We know how to act when someone says hello. We know where to pretend to, we've been reading our Bible and how to pray. We know how to do these things. But kingdom disciples, and the irony of this whole thing is, you have 12 disciples following Jesus, whether they like it or not, they too are sitting with tax collectors and sinners. And it seems obvious to me that if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, we too will sit with tax collectors and sinners. And what that means is that we have to be okay with things. Um, first of all, what that means is we need to recognize that sin is not a cootie. Like, um, it's, it's, it's so frustrating, man. Uh, like, an example of this, and I didn't mean, I don't, I didn't, uh, I, whatever, I'm just going to say it. Um, it's so crazy to me that those who, who want to pass laws against homosexuality and, um, and who are so adamantly opposed to homosexuality, which I would fully fled, I would, I believe wholeheartedly homosexuality is a sin. But my frustration in, in having some gay friends is to see that these people who want to pass all these laws have no gay friends. Like, it's so easy to, to, to lob grenades against people who aren't like you, who are in sin, when you're not in relationship with them, isn't it? It's so easy to say they're sinning because they listen to that music. They're sinning because they watch those movies when you're not in relationship with them. And the, the issue and what Jesus does is he goes full-fledged, all in, sitting at a table, eating with these cats. This is a big deal for us. And, and ultimately, this is what we've, we've been called to. So, so just so you know, these Pharisees, um, these Sadducees, uh, these scribes as they sit here, um, I, I, this is a big deal because 
their, their original call, you guys, in the Old Testament, the, the way their people originally started, they were to be a light to the nations. Matter of fact, in 1 Kings 14, the way that God designs the temple, he designs it so that Gentiles can come in. And they've turned that inside out and say, you're not welcome anymore. Man, may we see Jesus' example. May we associate with those who are deemed sinners. May we rub elbows with those who need the gospel. You're not going to like... You're not going to just become a drunk because you go to a bar, whether you have a beer or not. Now, hear me. I don't drink because I'm not a sinner, right? Um, Okay? Um, (laughs) Duh. Um, Okay? But but, but hear me. That does not stop me from from going to a bar with my next-door neighbor, Josh. That that, that should not stop me. I'm not going to walk into a bar and automatically become a sinner. So, So when your coworker invites you out, or when your coworker asks to go to lunch with you, when someone who is not like you, when someone who does not represent Jesus or, or looks like they have sin, man, this is what we've been called to. This is what Jesus is doing in that moment. Uh, here's, here's how I'll finish for both ends. Um, uh, Thursday night, uh, Wednesday night, uh, play basketball with a bunch of guys. Uh, it's from 9 to 11. I get home at like 11.30. I'm super tired. Take a shower. We have our elders meeting at 6 a.m. the next day. Um, it's midnight. Corbin wakes up. You know, he had like a nightmare, like, ugh, 1230, lay him down. Eve was kind of sick still. She wakes up at 1, ugh, still haven't fallen asleep. Um, at 1.30, I'm getting a drink of water. Titus comes up to me. I'm like, Titus, what are you doing, buddy? And he's totally asleep, drops his pants. Titus, what are you doing, buddy? Just pees on my pillow, okay? I'm like, Titus, stop. Now I can't move him because he's just going to pee everywhere. So I just have to watch him pee on my pillow, Okay? I don't get to bed till 2.30. Got to be up at like 5.30 or 6. Um, so mad. I'm just so mad, okay? Now, here's the deal. Besides my wife, um, there is not three people. There's not one person in this room um, that I love uh, any more than those three kids. And they, they could get it wrong day in and day out, and I would still love them <laughs> No matter how good you were to me, no matter how much you did to me, no matter what you tried to bless my family, I would, there is something within me that just pulls to love these three little waking up, peeing on my pillow rugrats. And, 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 and it's funny to me that God co- uh, equates his relationship to us as a father. I think that's the beauty for us to understand that though some of us are sinners and we've lived our life in such a way, we have essentially peed on God's pillow. That's a terrible, let's not make a shirt. Um, <laughs> We essentially have done what we we have said. I'm going to do what I want. God still loves us, not based on what we do. And the same is true for the legalist. But we have to recognize we are sick. But the gospel is open for all. Whether you're in this room as a legalist, you're in this room as a sinner, God is wooing you back to the cross to submit to the cross and say, it's because of you, Jesus. It's in your righteousness. It's because of you I'm loved. It's because of you I am accepted. Not because of what I've done, both good or bad. This is the beauty of the gospel. Let me pray for us.